they get 50 years, it'll really mean nothing. So um, this is where I'm going to turn it over to you. Um, yeah, we just we decided to. Uh, it was kind of kind of like a VBS type of thing. Like a, it was a Bible story for the kids every day. So there's about 50 to 60 kids, um, and we had about probably 30 of them, roughly 30 every day, where we would have uh, my brother, um, another kid, Adam Paulson, who's been been here a couple times. Jerry used to coach him, and this other girl, Kathleen, who's been here. Um, and they they just yeah they just gave the kids a Bible story every day, and we had a translator. I'll give it over, to my brother. Uh, yeah, so that was actually my favorite part of every day because we, we were on the construction team that was about to 50 doing the houses. And um, at the end of every day, we would be able to go back and do a Bible study with the kids. And we didn't do it last year. And it was my brother's idea to do it this year, which um, was really cool because I did not have that idea. But he brought it up. Um, and, yeah, um, the first day I remember... Uh, we were sitting up in front of the church, and I just wanted to give them a gospel message. I knew they already heard it before, but I just wanted to give it to them again just to show them what we're all about, the reason why we're here, and the reason why we're even building these houses for them and everything. And I know it's just the kids, but still that they could even hear it um, and to hear the gospel message. And and we had a um, one of the interpreters that we had, he wasn't too into it. He wasn't too into God and uh, a relationship with God. He said he was saved, but... Um, he was more into he was more into like hanging out with the American girls and everything like that. So, but he did the translating for us the first day, um, which was on a Saturday. So then Sunday we didn't go to the bates. We went to church all day. And I remember just sitting in church, being like, "Man, God, we gotta we gotta get someone who who wants to do this, who gets into it, who has a has a heart for you and has a heart for the kids too." Um, and just praying all day, praying all day. And then Monday we went back to the bates, and just this random guy. Um, he was down there. He's an interpreter. He was, his name was Michael. Um, what was his last name? Michael? I don't know. Michael. I don't know his last name. Just this crazy guy. Um, heart for God. Just awesome, awesome, awesome. And he just randomly comes with us to, uh, to Bate 50 for the construction team to be an interpreter. And um, I was talking to him a little bit because he saw me and uh, another kid, uh, Adam. We were carrying our Bibles into like to dinner or something like that and he was like oh oh very good very good bible bible is very good and so so then later when, when we saw him down there i was like oh i was like hey michael you want to do the um the interpreting for us we're going to do a bible study for the kids and he was just thrilled to do it he was uh, overjoyed he couldn't believe like that we asked him because he's been there for a while and he hasn't really found a, like a spot to fit in perfectly so this was just god um i feel like even answering kind of his desires but also my prayer at the same time so the next day, we went down on Monday, and Adam Paulson, he did, um, what did he do? He did the Bible study on the woman, at the, the woman at the well with the living water, and that went really, really well. All the kids were into it, and this guy, Michael, he was like, he was interpreting, but then he was just adding to what Adam was saying, and like, Jesus Christo, Jesus Christo, yeah, yeah, and, and going back and forth. It was really, really cool. Uh, Paulson would say something for like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we we weren't sure what he was translating until we saw the kids like Jesus Christo and stuff like that, which was good. So we were excited about that. And then the next day, uh, we came back and I did it on um, I did it on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is one of my favorite uh, Bible stories from when I was little. Probably my favorite. And man, I don't even know what happened, but <laughs> we're just we're sitting there and we go over the story and all the kids are listening and. 
next thing I know when I'm done, there's 15 kids standing up wanting to accept Jesus as their Savior. And that was like, oh, <laughs> that was oh, so cool to see. Um, I don't even know how it happened. They're just up there. All, and, and then Michael's like, all right, you want to pray? And I was like, oh, man, hold on. I had to take like 10 seconds to think, like, what do I, what do I say? And go back to remind, yeah, it was, it, that was the coolest. That was my favorite part of the trip. I remember even on the way back, um, when uh, we had to fill out a sheet of like things we liked, things we didn't like, um, they asked, what was your favorite part in the trip? And uh, me and Adam both wrote, um, watching the kids repent of their sins. Um, and just this verse that kept hitting me on the trip, and now it's in Jeremiah 17. It's verse 9 through 10. And it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But these kids are just, like everyone there, we're, we're all sinners. We all have these wicked hearts from the beginning. And it says they're desperately wicked. Who can know it? Um, and just all these kids with, I mean, they have nothing physically, nothing material at all, but then even their souls are, their souls are wicked too, and, um, and just to see them, their hearts on their knees, and, and them on their knees just repenting, and, and turning over to God, because in verse 10, he says, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his doings, and just to see these kids' hearts on their knees, and to just absolutely turn everything over to God, and then, oh, man, the kids who, and it was cool because we had, like my brother said, there was like probably 50 kids, but the, there was only like 15 who stood up, which it's like, all right, God, man, couldn't you do more than that? But then at the same time, those kids who were standing up, they weren't faking it at all. Like I've seen a lot of times where people could just go up and then they don't follow up with it later in their lives. But then the next day and the next day and the next day, these kids coming back up to us and talking to us about the Bible studies and these three kids, oh, amigos and fuego. And, and then the, this little girl who would always come up to Adam every single day and talk about the, the living water, la vive la agua or whatever. And that was, that was probably the coolest thing to see them continue to walk it out and ask about it and continue to talk about it every day and... And then the last day we went down by, um, it was a cool setting because we went up by the church. And then the last day we were there, I was just like, all right, let's all go down to the river and just do it down by the river. So they're just sitting up on this hill and then the river's going by and Adam got to preach. And uh, I was like, dude, this is probably one of the coolest settings you'll ever preach in in your life. And he was excited and um, the kids were excited. And yeah, it was, it was great. It was awesome time. Um, thank you for everyone who did donate to us and... It's very, very big, and for your prayers and everything was huge, because this was last year was I thought was the best mission trip I ever had, but this year blew it out of the water. Um, so thank you. So the cool thing about that, I'll kind of walk over here and put this back, so. Nate doesn't beat me up after. But um, uh, so the cool thing about that is a little church here in Naugatuck, right? Calvary Chapel, Naugatuck, uh, helping to send these guys to the Dominican Republic, bring the good news of Jesus Christ, and a bunch of little guys putting their hands up saying, "I want to know Jesus Christ." Like that's that's pretty cool stuff. And so we're trying to do that here in our community, here in the valley, and just also going, like Jesus said, go forth to the ends of the earth and. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's pretty, pretty cool stuff. Very exciting. So, again, thank you for that. It's because of you that that's how we can do that. So, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts 21. Acts 21. Now, I'm going to warn you from the outset. 
Um, we're not exactly going to finish uh, exactly on time because we start a little bit late, so I'm just going to preface that now. And uh, but that doesn't mean we're going to go super long. I'm just getting in the mode now. Um, what I'll do is I'll open up in prayer real quick, and then we'll kind of we'll get to the passage. So God, once again, as we do every Sunday, we ask Lord that uh, as we study Your Word, You could help us be distraction free, Lord that we could soak it in, that it would truly minister to our hearts and to our spirits, God. And it says that Your Word is living and active, and it even judges our thoughts and attitudes and hearts. It does all of these things, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we would actually let that do it to us, Lord. It's kind of a mystery how You actually do that, but it says that the Word does that, Father. And so we pray that our minds wouldn't be all over the place focused on other things, but we could at least give You this time right now, this morning, uh, to at least focus on your word and have it minister to our hearts, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would just help me not to uh, taint your message, Lord, to um, just truly speak from your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when we pick up in Acts 21, we're basically picking up through this book of Acts. We have the missions trips uh, of Paul and Peter, and they're going around starting churches, a young church like this, they're starting churches. Um, and it's really the birth of the church itself happens in Acts. And so we've been going through this whole thing and we happen to pick up towards the end of Acts, which is very cool. We've almost read the entire book of Acts as a church. So even if you've never read one book of the Bible by yourself, we'll at least get it as a church. And eventually, a few years from now, we'll have the whole Bible together done as a church. We'll get the whole council done. It's exciting stuff. So we're in Acts. We're towards the end. Paul is uh, kind of at the end of a lot of his work and we pick up um, where he's going to encounter some difficult situations. And we'll get into it in a little bit. I want to let you know where we're headed this morning because within the passage is stuff that has to do with 2011 today, believe it or not. The Bible written so long ago has to do with today. God knew what he was doing. And so one thought that kind of gets me started that spurs me on that maybe will also help you is that if we think sometimes we like remove ourselves kind of from where we're at, sort of our perspective and what's going on, if we kind of put ourselves maybe in God's shoes, you know, just to get His perspective a little bit, He must find it, I would say, probably maybe a little annoying, maybe a little comical sometimes when He thinks that us, His creation, really knows like what God says and what He's talking about and we almost like sort of speak and act on His behalf. And some people are like way off. You know, but some people are sort of kind of close and aligned with the heart of God. And some people that are way off and, and that just don't know stuff are just because they just don't really know a lot. They're still in the learning process, you know, and hopefully they're not really arrogant about that. Some people manipulate it for their own ends, right? To try to get their own objectives across. Not necessarily the objectives of God, but really their own objectives. And I'm sure he's probably very annoyed with that, right? But then there's some that are just like kind of all over the wall and kind of ridiculous. They don't really understand really what's going on. Because maybe they only know a few verses here, a couple things there, and then it's sort of like... Well, I don't know. Like they can throw around the language and, and kind of use it, but they don't really, they don't really get it. And so what I have is a video clip that we're going to show in one second that sort of shows somebody who doesn't really get it. And it's kind of a funny way to look at it, but it's a way to think that, geez, I hope I don't fall into the category where I'm using this language, but I don't really get it. 
and I'll build up the clip. The clip is uh, someone who has some financial problems and he thinks the answer to his financial problems is just to declare bankruptcy and like start all over. He thinks it's the greatest idea in the world. All right? And uh, I'll let you look at the clip and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. I declare bankruptcy! Hey, I just wanted you to know that you can't just say the word bankruptcy and expect anything to happen. I didn't say it, I declared it. Still, that's, that's not anything. <laughs> to me, that was just funny, right? I mean, he obviously didn't get it. Like, he knew the language. He knew that like, there was this idea, I get to start over and I can declare bankruptcy. But, you know, declare to him means he just shouts it all out in a room and then now, okay, I get to start all over. Right? He doesn't get it. And so then I, I, you know, I think about that and God and parallel it to like, um, you know, sometimes, you know, we might think we know what God is doing and what His plans and where His direction is going, but like, we might be like, declaring some other thing that's like in way left field somewhere and be off. And so the idea and the hope is that if we're Christ followers and we confess to follow Him that when we actually declare bankruptcy or like we, we're saved, we're saved or if God is really real and we're following His direction like that's actually happening. We're not walking in a room doing some nonsense where it's like nah, that's not really how it's going down. Alright, so we'll pick up some of that stuff today. So Acts 21 We'll take a look and we'll see what's going on here. So verse 1, it says, After we had torn ourselves away from them. Torn ourselves away from who? Basically, we ended up uh, last week, you can listen to the message last week, basically they they were with uh, some elders of a church that just planted. A church they spent three years with. Three years. The longest of any stay that he has had in Acts with any church. And so, of course, they grew tight. You know, they had some real love with each other. And so, they just really had this, like, kind of dramatic goodbye. Where they're sitting on the beach, they're kneeling in prayer, and they're weeping, and they know they're never going to see each other again. And so that's what he says after we torn ourselves away. We put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. So they're sailing to this area. The next day we went to Rhodes. Right? There's going to be a few areas here. Try not to get lost too much. They're basically sailing around. And from there they went to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board, and set sail. So they've hooked up with a couple of ships. In verse 3, After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo, and finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. So what they did is they hit up this place, Tyre. They found some disciples, not like the original 12 disciples, original apostles, right? Just disciples, Christ followers, like us. Just disciples. They found them there. They hung out there for a week. And it says, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So there, with these people, with these disciples for about seven days... And Paul's really main thing of his trip, he's got to get back to Jerusalem. Because he has some money with him, they has to bring back to the church there. And he also has to give a report of everything that's going on with all these churches that he started. So he's got to get back there 
But then the disciples there are like, no, you, uh, I don't know if you should go back there. And in fact, they said, I don't think you should because something not good is going to happen. So in verse 5 it says, but when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. So all the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. And so after a week of hanging out with these disciples, again, you know, Paul grows close to them again. And it's just, it's amazing, like, you can understand it in the Christian realm. You, you know, when, when you're here in Naugatuck, or if you were, we were to take a trip right now to the Dominican, or to Haiti, or to Africa, and you find other Christian brothers and sisters, it's almost like you connect, like, really fast. You know, you just have that brother and sister in Christ-like relationship, and it can develop fast. And it kind of did with these guys. After a week, he's with them. And it says their families and their children come, and they kneel beside, and they pray together. So you get, like, this beautiful picture, you know, of them hanging out, and you even got the kids involved, you know, as a family. And they're there on their knees praying and everybody's watching and being like, you know, what is that about? And so it's just another nice... Wherever Paul leaves when he's close with people, this is the effect that it has. And so in verse 25... Uh, sorry, not in verse 25. After they board the ship, they're going to return home. So in verse 7 it says, We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at this place Thomas, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. So they met another group of believers, right? So they're meeting all these people. At verse 8, leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, right? He should sound familiar. The evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And so this guy Philip, we saw early in the book of Acts. And uh, Philip was kind of co uh, co-workers with Stephen. And so Philip was kind of one of the original guys. They say he was the, like one of the first missionaries, first evangelists who went out and helped spread the gospel. So it's been about 20 years since he's seen Philip. The last time Paul saw Philip was the last time Paul was standing there and he was actually holding the clothes for Stephen when he was getting stoned. That was the last time these two guys met. So you got to imagine when Paul... Hooks up with Philip finally. There's a lot to catch up on. There's a lot to catch up on. A lot of conversations they had. And I just imagine Paul is probably crushed and Philip was probably you know, thrilled that, you know, that Paul is who he is and God has really done this work in his life. And the daughters, hey, they prophesied. God is at work in their lives. So it says in verse 10, After we had been there a number of days... A prophet comes forward, this guy Agabus, who we've seen before, came down from Judea. He's coming over to us. He took Paul's belt, so he took his belt off, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So God is telling him, right? Remember those people he stayed with for a week? And they said, eh, You might not want to go to Jerusalem. There's going to be trouble waiting for you. Well, in fact, this other guy, Agabus, comes in and he says, yeah, there is going to be trouble. In fact, you know, they're going to cuff you and they're going to bring you in there and there's going to be some serious hardships awaiting you. So it says, when we heard this, all the people with Paul, and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? He said, why are you guys doing this to me? He says, 
I'm ready not only to be bound, not only to be taken away and cuffed, I'm also ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That's where his focus is. Well, yeah, well, whatever. I, who cares if I get locked up? Like, I'm ready to die and do this thing. So it says when we, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, well, the Lord's will be done. And after this, we got ready, went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manson. We were able to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. So interesting situation. And it's all really centering around God's will, God's plan, and around what He's going to do. And you have a group of people saying, trouble and hardship are going to await you. Maybe even possibly death. You shouldn't go. And then you have Paul saying, no, 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 like I should go. That could be a confusing situation. Especially when those people that are like, no, no, maybe you shouldn't go, are like fellow Christian brothers and sisters, you know, who have wisdom, who have the Spirit. And they're like, no, I don't think you should. But like you're saying, no, I should, you know. So it's like, really, what's the right thing to do there and how do you handle it? And so the question is, where is God's will in this? How do you know? How can you figure it out? As we enter into this, and we talk about this, i got one thought that's up here that I think is practical, and I think that applies, and I think this is something we kick around with. Maybe you never even came out with this sentence yourself, but it's there, and you think about it. So sometimes it can be difficult to decipher God's will based on the realities of my circumstances. Right? If we're just in the mindset of, well, as long as it's going pretty smooth and there's minimal bumps in the road, God must definitely be in this. Yeah, maybe sometimes. I wouldn't use that as a guarantee. Or on the flip side, man, it is just... This is tough right now. I am getting stretched. It is, this is a battle. A battle. What am I doing wrong? What sin do I have? Like, what, what am I messing up? I don't really know if that's necessarily the case. Right? And I think sometimes we can get in that mindset because sometimes I think what creeps in is sort of the attitude of, well, God's blessings usually bring some comfort and some prosperity, and those are the things we really go after. Which, in fact, that does happen sometimes. But I don't think that's just the standalone barometer of if we're in the middle of God's plan or not. So, a couple things. I've already made one assumption. I hope it's a safe one. I made one assumption that's up here right now. I made an assumption that God actually does have a plan and will for our lives. I hope you're thinking the same thing. If you're not, it, it's true. And it says in Jeremiah, Dan just read from Jeremiah, for it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And so if you believe in God, and you believe in Jesus, and you're trying to make Him the center of your life, the deal is He has a plan, He has a will, and He has an actual path for your life to go on that's going to benefit you and benefit those around you. 
And it's going to go through all kinds of different stages and all kinds of ups and downs. But He promises to be with you in the middle of it and to give you peace no matter what happens. And also, you get to be with Him in heaven forever. That's just a side note, right? But it's an actual fact. It actually happens. So that's the first assumption that I made. Now, within the God's will part, as far as how to read a situation, I think it's going to be really helpful and beneficial for us to figure out God's plan, God's will, and what's going on. It's easier if I really know who God is. If I don't really know who He is and how He acts and what He says, how can I tell, like, well, this situation is from God. Well, this situation, I must be messing up. God wouldn't want to do this to me right now. How could we tell? And this becomes difficult because God does things on both sides. He blesses people with prosperity and gives them things when He's following them. But also when He's following them and the people are being faithful, He creates difficulties and brings hardships around. So it's kind of difficult sometimes. So a few verses. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. So that means if you're a follower of Christ and if you're following Him, Somewhere along the way in your path and in your relationship with Christ, you're guaranteed to have some kind of suffering of some kind. I don't know if prosperity fits in there really, really nicely. But suffering will be in there for sure. But then again, prosperity does fit in, right? To Jabez right here. It says, Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be set so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. And I think a ton of people, right? Even if we were to go out on the street right now, they'd be like, oh yeah, God definitely blessed him in that one. He gave him stuff, kept him free from pain, really looked like he looked out for him. But, you know, if we were to read a passage of some guy really suffering like Job, now it gets complicated. Whoa, whoa. God is like blessing him. He's like in his will right now. What kind of God is that? Why would God do that? I don't know if I want to worship that God, blah, blah. But then I don't know if those same people would be saying that about the second part. You know, so we sing that song, Blessed be your name, you give and take away. Like the giving part we're all cool with, but the take away part, sometimes that can be difficult and cause some problems. The question is, why would God sometimes bring in those hardships and bring in some difficulties where sometimes it makes it hard to figure out if He's in the middle of it? Why would He do that? Why would a God who loves us, why would He do that? It's a fair question. And it's a legitimate question. And I hope it's one you've asked. But hopefully it's not one that you just live in and you just live in that doubt forever. Because we're not meant to stay in that. Well... This passage right here we'll get to in a minute. Well, we can read it right now. It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. Why would I put that up there? Because God had His chosen people. He had Israel. He had the nation He was just forming. He just set them free after Passover. They just went through. They conquered Pharaoh. They left Egypt, the biggest superpower in the world. And by God's hand and by God's hand alone did they get out of there. An absolute miracle. The promised land that God had for them to set up their nation, it's only like at the most a two-week journey. 
at the most, two weeks, boom, straight shot, you're there, you're in it, promised land, oh, angels are gone, right? You're there. Why wouldn't God just bring them there? Like, why, why, why create all this drama? Like, why would you do that? What kind of God is that? Do we want to be singing to Him and praising Him? That's what a lot of people would think. Well, it says if they face... Oh, right back to it. If they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Because God knew, if I bring them there right away to what I have for them, and difficulties and challenges arise, you know what they're going to do? They're going to turn and run. Because they're not prepared. Their character is not developed yet. I'm going to give them these blessings, and it's going to come for them. They're not going to be ready. They're not going to be ready to handle what I have for them. They have to have a certain depth to their character, and they have to be prepared in a certain way to be a handle what's going to happen to them. And in fact, later on in the story, you know, they started complaining right away when they were out of food and they were out of water. When they got challenged by the first army, it's exactly what they said. Oh, God, why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? Why did you even bring us out here? Why are you even doing this? But God is trying to bring them to the place that He has for them, which is so much better than they could even imagine. So why would God bring us through things that might seem difficult? Because He's got something better. So it's very, very possible that right in the middle of God's plan, right in the middle of His will, could be some real challenges. And it's not because it's your fault because you're messing things up and you have a ton of sin. It could be this is exactly where God has you because He's preparing you for what's coming down the road and how He's going to use you. Seems like a loving God to me. So, a lot of times what happens is, okay, you know, God got this plan, He got this will, I want to do it, I want to enter into it. And then a very popular question, of course, comes up quite a bit is, God, what is your will? Like, what do you want to do with me? Where are you going to take me? How are you going to do it? It's a good question. And hopefully, if you're a true Christ follower, you've asked yourself that question. And if you haven't, you've got to consider, well, how serious am I really about this? But if you have, I think the answer is a pretty easy one. It's a pretty easy one. To look at it as like, oh man, there's like this big, huge purpose for my life. And I have to enter into this grand scheme and just sort of like prepare. And just big thing, big, big thing. I don't know if I'd really look at it that way. And I think that way is probably overwhelming. And I think that way can probably stress some people out and probably make them anxious. And then probably they get some people to think, you know what, I'm probably just going to screw it up anyway. So, I don't know. Maybe I'll just like think about it from time to time and try and get by that way. But I think something to help us with God's will and with God's plan on this next part is His will, His purpose, and His plan and His direction as far as what He's going to do is found right now, right here, today. That will set us up for tomorrow. Right? Paul, this guy, he was already in the habit of this, setting up right now today. What can I do right now? Who can I talk to? Who can I share with? What can I do? And he was incredibly focused, incredibly determined, and he couldn't really shake it. Really admire that kind of guy. Like I just 
I like those kind of people that are just focused, determined, and they know what direction they're headed in, and they're going to go for it. No matter if everything's falling down around them, I know i got to do this. I know i got to go there. And those are the type of people that God just uses, and uses in a mighty way. So God's will is found today. This is a life of faith. Even though what you might see, that's not telling the whole story. That's not telling the story, and that's not even telling the whole accurate story either of what's actually going on and what's behind the scenes. And that's why church is so helpful, hopefully on Sunday mornings, where we come and we sing to Him, and we praise Him, and we hear about you know, how He loves us, and how He wants to provide for us, and how He has a plan for us, and what He's going to do, and what He's already done. Ah, that's what, that's what it's really about. And honestly, He cares more about our response to His Spirit's leading today. Because that will set us up and get us in the mindset. It's not like you're just going to come eventually and just jump to this big moment and say, okay, I'm ready to start you know, His will now. It starts right now in the practical and in the mundane things that happen in life. Am I going to get mad right away right now? How is God going to use me at my job today? In this conversation right now, am I like looking to where God might be trying to fit me in there somehow? Is this a conversation that God wants me to have with my kids right now? You know, just all these different ways. So, on the next slide here. So, right, what do we do with some of this stuff? What do we do with some of this? So, God's will. Okay, I understand. I can't just determine if God is in the middle of this or if I'm just messing up based on my circumstances. It's a realization of that He's in control. So here we go. A couple of things we can work on. One, getting a balanced view of the Bible and of God and really being content where we are. Contentment, I don't know if that's a word you really use very much. And I don't, honestly, you know, I didn't really use it a, a whole lot before getting really serious about God. But contentment is being satisfied with the situation that you're in, knowing that God is really right there with you. You know, there's a phrase that, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. And then I heard one not too long ago. I was like, well, you know what? Sometimes if the grass is so green over there, you should water your own grass. Right? Like, be content with where you are. Start watering it, getting serious into years. And stop looking over there. Water your own lawn. And getting a balanced view as far as God, God and how He might be working, you'll eliminate a lot of that doubt by spending some time in this book. By spending some time with Him. It's going to take time. 15, 20 minutes. It, it takes that time. It's so needed though. And it's so needed. And that's the heart of being a Christian. And when in that time is just uh, avoided, Sunday mornings are kind of like, you know, if you're, if you're hoping on Sunday mornings, and whatever is coming out of up here, or somebody else on the radio, or something else on the internet. It, it's, it's helpful. Kind of like snacks, sort of like an appetizer. It's like a Twinkie kind of. You get your full course meal, and you really dive in when you're alone with God, and spend that time with Him, and pouring the heart out, and looking for Him. That's where it really develops. So make every effort to be in step with the Spirit this day, Instead of someday, what can I do in the next 10 minutes, Lord? What would you have me do in these next 10 minutes? Where are you guiding me? What would you like me to do? Because that's where 
the will, the direction, the purpose, that's where it's going to be found. Right now, today, in the next 10 minutes. Like actually being really serious about it. Because unfortunately, at least my experience has been, it just seems to me like a lot of people are just like, well, we're called to a life as Christians with a little bit of God kind of sprinkled in there. You know, it's just like, be a pretty, have a pretty good life and just sprinkle Him in there occasionally. I don't know. I mean, when Jesus Christ went to the cross, like He wasn't sort of sprinkled in commitment-wise a little bit. Like, he was in all the way. It is a completely radical, transforming faith. That's really what it's all about. Ten minutes today, and that Spirit that actually rose Jesus from the dead, the Spirit, His Holy Spirit, the thing that the person of the deity that lives inside of us rose Him from the dead, that same Spirit inside of us, can we just sprinkle a little bit in there and just... No way. We've got to feed that thing and be radical. Be absolutely radical. And then, we'll, and then you could be like, Paul, pff, I, I could really honestly care less. If I get put in jail, I get, have the chains put on me, I'm ready to die for this thing. This is where I'm at with this. And to some people, that is absolute insanity and completely crazy. Crazy enough that you're talking to a God that's like invisible and you think He talks to you. But then like you're going to go ahead and die for this stuff? Right? That's what God is looking for. That's what God is looking for. That's the commitment that He's looking for. So what we're going to do is we're going we're to take communion. And so um, the worship team, can you guys make your way on up? And then um, we'll have uh, maybe Josh and Loretta, you guys can pass the stuff out. What's that? Oh, we're going to do the Jesus Paid It All song. You want to know what song. So... In this song, the Jesus Paid It All song, it's going to give us some good time to reflect on, you know, what He's done. And why that faith, why does it need to be so radical? Why is it really that important? Why should I really be concerned about the next ten minutes, you know, really for God? Well, because of the price that He paid for us when He didn't have to. He didn't have to at all. And if you are... This is something that we do as believers in Jesus Christ. And if you're not really a believer in Jesus Christ, or you're just not sure, you're on the fence, I wouldn't take it. I would just kind of let it pass by. But if you are, this is something that we definitely do uh, together. And So they'll pass around the elements as the song is played. Hold on to it. And then we'll take it together when they finish the song. Simpsons. 
paid it all All to Him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow Oh, praise the One who paid my debt And raised this life up from the dead Oh, praise the One who paid my debt And raised this life up from the dead Oh, praise the Jesus on the night he was betrayed uh, took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me so we'll take our bread or the cracker and says in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So take the cup, drink. And it says that we do that, remember, it's every time until he comes back. And we hear that loud trumpet sound and he comes back. So let's stand and uh, we'll close in prayer. And hopefully, you know, you saw Michael Scott show up on the scene and declaring bankruptcy. Um, you know, I don't really want to walk around in my Christian life thinking that I'm knowing what's really going on, but I really don't. I want to make sure I'm on the same page, using the same language, and like really understanding it. 
So let's uh, let's bow our heads and close in prayer. So God, we just pray, Lord, that we can very easily just uh, kind of judge things because based on what we see and based on what we're feeling at that time. Uh, when in many times, Lord, uh, you're abs- you love us and you're at work and you're actually making us a better person and you're bringing us towards that plan that is so much better than we could ever think or imagine. You're turn- turning us into the best mother or father we could ever dream of. You're turning us into the best kind of worker you know, that could ever exist, Lord. You're turning us into the most patient, loving person, Lord, that will just be contagious for other people. You're transforming us from the inside out, Lord, and it takes some time. And you use circumstances and situations in life to do that, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we just wouldn't bail as soon as it gets tough, and we wouldn't start doubting you right away and just be tossed around by our emotions. Pray, God, that you just help us grow in our faith, Lord. And help us to be disciplined enough, God, to just give you that time that you need to where we can get perspective back and see life for what it really is. So, God, we thank you for this morning, Lord. And we put it in your hands. In Jesus' name. Amen. So again, I'm sorry I went a little bit long, but uh, you know we started a little bit late. We won't be here next week, Summer Sunday Fun Day. Lots of fun. Ask people right up until the last minute. It's going to be a fun time. Um, have a safe ride home. Hope you have a good week.